Welcome to the Ether. Today is Monday, April 17th, 2023. Today on the Ether, Minting for Hope, a fundraiser for ALS, with Major League Baseball legend Kurt Schilling. Let's take a listen. Hey, everybody. How you guys doing? Thank you for joining us tonight. Um, we are here with a very beautiful panel, um, and we'll be joined by Kurt Schilling in just a moment. Uh, so if you guys can just um, just introduce you, uh, introduce you guys, we got Eric from uh, Cosmos Spaces, we have uh, Cosmos Joe, we got Cosmos Hoss, and we've got Zoe from The Giving Block. So thank you guys all for joining me today. Uh, I'm Chev from Omniflix, aka uh, Ken, whatever you want to call me, either one. Um, and I guess what I would ask is if you could be so kind as to share this on your own uh, social accounts as well to... Um, get people in here a little bit more quickly we had about 120 rsvps so i'm sure we'll have a pretty good audience tonight and kurt will be joining us in about uh i'd say about 15 minutes and we'll be good to go uh just give me a second i'm just gonna get a couple of things pinned up here in the space so that people can submit questions for the ama portion of it and then we'll um we'll be good to get rocking and rolling here um but zoe if you could introduce yourself first and uh and just talk a little bit about the giving block and uh you know how you guys are uh working with us on this to make sure that you know the als association is able to get their donations and uh do so in a compliant manner through crypto that would be amazing yeah of course thanks for having me ken uh yeah as you said my name is Zoe. I do Web3 partnerships for The Giving Block. Uh, if you don't know, in short, The Giving Block helps nonprofits accept crypto donations. But the cool thing is, beyond just providing the technology for them to accept crypto, we're also very focused on providing uh, resources, education, one-to-one -one support, so that those nonprofits can actually engage within crypto communities like the Cosmos and Omniflix community and successfully fundraise. And of course, one of those nonprofits is the ALS Association. They've had a lot of excess, success in the crypto space. And uh, I think that, um, you know, having a big name like Kurt Schilling, that's, you know, kind of outside of the crypto space, brings a lot of, you know, kind of legitimacy and excitement to, uh, you know, spread awareness and, and fundraise for that nonprofit, which does, you know, such critical research. I'm sure we'll get into a bit of the research they do and, the, uh, you know, the disease itself and the, the havoc that it can wreak and, and why it's so important that we fundraise and raise awareness. But, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for that. I uh, appreciate it. And I'll, uh, let me see it. Uh... I guess Cosmos Joe did not. Oh, okay. I had that's. I can't invite multiple co-hosts. I guess. Um, so one second. Sorry, sorry, Joe. Uh, bring you up here, and I guess I'll have you as a speaker then. 
did not know that there was a maximum of three uh, or two co-hosts on Twitter Spaces. You learn something new every day. Um, so thank you for that. Joe, you should have just gotten an invite. And uh, Eric, if you can introduce uh, Cosmos Spaces and then uh, Cosmos Hoss and uh, assuming Cosmos Joe gets up here, let him introduce himself as well. Yeah, um, my name is Eric and I sometimes go by Eric.io. I'm one of the co-founders of Cosmos Spaces. We focus on educating the community and uh, we have our own validators that we also have. Um, we also do AMAs with different projects and uh, we just like to reach out to projects, make connections. And uh, that's what we've been doing for the past year and a half now. So um, just, you know, always involved in Cosmos and just uh, trying to, to keep building with it along with everyone. And that you guys do, and you do a phenomenal job of it. So thank you guys for that and your contributions to the community. And thank you for being here uh, tonight representing for the spaces of Cosmos. Um, yeah, of course. Cosmos Hoss. Thank you. And Cosmos Hoss, hey, what's, uh, your turn, sir. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Cosmos Hoss here. I know Eric. I initially started doing Twitter spaces with the Cosmos Space team and then sadly had to separate, but no, no hard feelings. They're, they, they're doing an amazing job. There's quite a few people, including Joe, that, you know, cover Cosmos as a whole. I think we're all kind of soldiers. We love crypto. We love Cosmos. We love the communitarian part of it. In today's space, I'm look, really looking forward to it because it's kind of funny. I played Division One baseball four years and started. And actually, one of the reasons I ended up going to the school I went to is because of the Boston Red Sox and, and Kurt Schilling. And I, uh, it's it's kind of cool that he's into, you know, crypto, maybe just an NFT or whatnot. But um, it's kind of cool to, that he's, you know, has a project in Cosmos. And so that's kind of my little too long, do not read little rant right there but i'm excited today to talk and just listen and, and uh maybe learn something today too thank you sir and uh cosmos joe welcome to the stage sir hey chef thanks for having me up um yeah just like Haas said i'm definitely looking forward to learning quite a bit today i love that someone like kurt schilling is putting his name and reputation out there to kind of leverage nfts i think it's much needed in the space and you know, when I was a huge baseball fan, it was like the prime of his career. And he it's just amazing that uh, someone like that who really doesn't have to lift a finger in retirement is so active and also active in technology. So I think this is going to be a really fun space. I agree with you. Um, definitely looking forward to it. So um, I'm about to post a um, a Google form on the, on the space here so that everybody can uh, go ahead and you know, respond with their questions to Kurt. And that's kind of just the way they were going to try to like do the um, process so that it's not like a free for all. At some point we might open up the floor and just let, you know, people come up and talk. Um, you know, the only thing that we would ask is that, you know, we try to, you know, keep things in a, I guess, uh, professional and respectful, um, you know, in, in a respectful tone and whatnot. Uh, I understand people have uh, political and, uh, you know, political views and such, but that's not really the goal of the space today is to go down that rabbit hole. So if, um, you know, if you want to come up and ask Kurt a question, just ask that you be respectful to him and, um, you know, understand that he's here because he wants to do something good for uh, humanity and he wants to do something for a cause that he's been an avid uh, fighter for for the last over 30 years. He's raised close to $20 million 
uh, for the ALS Association over the course of uh, his his career uh, as a public figure. So, um, you know, whatever gripes you may have with him as um, in, in terms of his political views, um, not really the like forum for that, I guess you could say. So, um, but any questions that you're wanting to ask him, I'm sure he will answer them uh, honestly, because it's the one thing that you can guarantee that you'll get from Kurt is honesty. Um, so, yeah, I just pr would appreciate that. And um, if anybody has any questions, um, and then our co-host here will be um, also at the beginning asking questions uh, to Kurt and talking to him uh, along with me about the uh, campaign that he's running here on Omniflix, uh, which will be going live on June 2nd. Uh, that's Lou Gehrig's day on the MLB calendar. And, uh, the cool thing with this is, so there's two NFTs that he's going to be releasing. Uh, one of them, uh, I'll, I'll let him talk about the NFTs directly. Um, and then there's going to be two NFTs that he's releasing. And then we were lucky enough to be able to shoot, uh, a, the start of like a mini series, I guess you could call it called minting for hope which is the campaign that we have here at Omniflix for using NFT technology to support a public good or to serve a public good. And, you know, it's really important to us that we, um, you know, that we utilize the technology for, for good and find ways to help humanity and help people uh, that are less fortunate. And just to give you a quick overview, if you're not familiar with ALS and you just know about the ice bucket challenge, uh, it's, a absolutely just debilitating disease and i think kurt put it perfectly when uh you know during the uh show that we did with him where he interviewed jimmy pool who's a former uh major league baseball player as well and he you might know him from you know if you're older you might remember him from 1995 he's the one that uh gave up the home run to david justice in the world series to win the world series for the uh atlanta braves uh he was on the cleveland cleveland indians and he was diagnosed with ALS uh, about three years ago. And he joined us with his wife, Kim, on, um, on Minting for Hope. And I, I personally did not really understand the true you know, nature of the disease in full until I saw, you know, until I saw Jimmy. And it's, it's just heartbreaking because you, you don't understand the, the, the way that, that this is for a person with ALS. And I don't think you can, unless you actually are, are, you know, God forbid diagnosed with it, but your body is just slowly shutting down on you little by little. And it's a muscular disorder, uh, degenerative muscular disease. And the last things to go are your lungs. So you essentially suffocate to death. And all the meanwhile, your brain is just as sharp as it was the day before you got diagnosed. And, you know, you're so you're there watching yourself essentially become a burden to your loved ones where you're, you know, your your loved ones have to do everything for you from get you out of bed in the morning to, you know, to bathe you, to feed you, to clothe you, to do everything that you, you know, as a, you know, a former major league baseball player or just, a, you know, a, a normal person, you know, you're used to doing things for yourself when you wake up in the morning and getting out of bed and going and taking a shower and, you know, making breakfast and, you know, going on with your day. And now you're sitting there watching, you know, the emotional and physical uh, and financial difficulties that your family now has to go through. And there's nothing you can do about it. And that's, to me, the, the, the hardest part with this disease. Um, and I don't know if any of you guys have any 
you know, input on that or, you know, if you guys were aware of like how the disease progresses and how tough it can be for uh, people that have it in their families. But it truly is, uh, it, it's a very, it's, it's very hard to deal with for the family. Financially, it's a huge burden. Um, and that's a lot of, the, you know, that's a lot of what the ALS Association also helps with, um, you know, the families uh, who, you know, after the, the individual passes, they you know, are helpful to the families as well. But uh, Zoe and then everybody else, uh, you know, if you would like to chime in on that. I definitely think that the family aspect is really key to remember um, ALS Association and a, a lot of nonprofits that are in you know, kind of health space, uh, whether it be for ALS or cancer or other terminal diseases, they, you know, over the years have developed more and more programs for, you know, supporting families, uh, whether that be, you know, just financially and with resources, or whether it be through counseling and, you know, education so that they're able to support their loved ones as much as they can. Um, it's definitely something that can get forgotten in these discussions is that, you know, ALS and, and terminal diseases, you know, they very tragically affect those who are diagnosed them, but they also have, you know, kind of ripple effects on the people around them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Any, anybody else have, and, uh, have anything they want to add? For, for me, um, <clears throat> I think just being like, I, I really watch sports and I remember I think the first case that I remember seeing was actually Steve Gleason, the player for the uh, New Orleans Saints, who, like, after they had Hurricane Katrina, like, he made, like, the first great play whenever they came back. They won the Super Bowl the following year. Um, and then I know that a few years later, he had to retire after eight, eight seasons of playing to um, – he just retired. I think it was for other reasons, but then he later was diagnosed with ALS. And it was just crazy, like, first of all – you know, like you said, it's just a disease where your mind is sharp, but your body starts failing you. And it was just crazy, like the like the positive attitude that that he's demonstrated and everything that you do to try to make it like as as comfortable as possible for yourself and for your family. So it's just um, really inspiring to see these people that, that have to deal with it. Um, I, I'm a school teacher and my first year teaching. Um, we had a, a dad who actually passed away who had had ALS for a long time. And so we, as a community, I, I live in a small town in Texas. Um, we just, you know, came around and really supported that family because it, it was tough to see. And so, um, you know, those are my experiences with it and it's not pretty, but um, definitely, you know, hoping that through this, um, these type of things, these foundations and these, and these giving opportunities, we can, come together and at least make it comfortable for the families. And then maybe in some future, you know, actually help provide a, a cure. hundred uh, percent. I agree with you hundred percent. You know, that's really the family is um, not just the kids, but especially, you know, the, the, you know, you see like a lot of athletes now are really starting to unfortunately get the disease. Um, you know, it might have something to do with uh, brain injury um, or things of that nature. But, um, uh, sorry. Yeah, no, uh, just to clarify anything. So, so Kurt Schilling does not have ALS. Uh, thank God. You know, he, he, uh, does not, he's just a very, uh, 
avid supporter of the organization uh, and he wants to do, you know, quite a bit. We had, we had somebody comment or ask if Kurt has ALS. Um, no, he does not. Thank God. Um, he, he is a cancer survivor uh, and uh, I believe his wife also has cancer at the moment. Uh, and is in, uh, I'm not sure the status of that right now, but I know she's doing well, thankfully. Um, but he he's just a very avid supporter of uh, you know the ALS Association. He's been donating and doing fundraisers for over 30 years for them since he was uh, back on the Phillies in the late 80s. Um, and that's just something that you know it's a cause that he's really been a uh, champion for, and he's done a lot to um, help them raising, like I said, nearly nearly $20 million over the course of his career uh, for the ALS Association, um, specifically the Philadelphia chapter. Uh, so I've gotten a chance to know the people there, and they're, you know, they're really incredible people, and they do so much to, to help the families of ALS patients. Um, so I think uh, Kurt will get into that a little bit more when we bring him on and he should be joining us in just a couple of minutes. I just confirmed that with him. So um, let's kick the can around and, um, you know, chat it up until he gets here, which should be in a moment. Um, but if anybody has anything else that they want to add or, um, you know, talk about your projects, uh, Cosmos Joe, I know you had a, um, a really interesting little uh, show that you started yesterday and it highlighted the Omniflix token launch uh, and stream swap launch. So we can talk about that briefly. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts uh, on the show? How did that go? Um, I think that my, my chat with Sisla, my recorded chat with Sisla was long overdue. He's one of the first people that welcomed me into the space and helped me navigate the NFT, you know, space and cosmos. So um, I know people were waiting for a long time for that launch, but it sounds like they really did it thoughtfully. They have to be very aware, and you know this, of American regulations, even though they're not necessarily an American-based company because of partnerships and whatnot, the connection to, hopefully, big connections to you know, Hollywood, the entertainment industry. So I thought it was awesome, man. Cicely, you know how he is. He's He will help anybody. He'll give anyone the shirt off of his back. He's awake like 23 hours a day. And uh, yeah, I, th I thought, I thought it went really good, man. I, I, I feel like we could have done three or four recordings. So it was, it, it was, I'll do another one when, you know, the platform has the token and do some, some more videos on that. Yeah, no, for sure. Sisla is, uh, I feel very blessed to be, you know, uh, a part of the Omniflix team. He's uh, a great, 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 um, incredibly brilliant person. And I've learned so much from him already, you know, in the 14 months or so that I've been here. Um, but it's definitely, I feel blessed to be able to you know, be here with you guys and um, and to be you know, with this team. So uh, the show, by the way, was awesome. You look like a natural up there, man. So keep up the great work that you do. Oh, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. It's easy to talk to that guy. You know how it is. He's, uh, I told him at the end of the video, I don't remember if I kept it in the video or not. I told him if I ever go to Cosmoverse, he's going to get a big hug, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> I'm sure he'll appreciate that. You know, we, we, um, we had the welcome, the welcome committee from, from Eli from Tardy Grades last, uh, I guess last, last year. So maybe you can set up the welcome wagon at, uh, Istanbul this year. Oh man, if I, if I get out there, that'll be something, put it that way. Um, hey, you mind if I just chime in about something related to Kurt Schilling for people that are not baseball fans or just were like too young to remember him? Of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, for people that are listening, you're not a baseball fan, you never heard of Kurt Schilling. He was, he was one of the 
players who played every game like it was his last game. He never wanted to come out of the game. He did not play on good teams for a lot of his career. His his final career statistics are probably comparable to Pedro Martinez, even though he didn't get into the Hall of Fame. He was absolutely lights out in, in the postseason. And the guy was just a fierce competitor that just we're lucky that we have someone like that that's going to be, you know, putting their name out there using NFTs, you know, make making NFTs more, I guess, community facing for for you know, promoting a good cause like ALS. And I think, again, if, even if you don't like baseball, you don't, you don't care about what teams he played on. Just do a little research on, on this guy. He is, he is a lot more, I would say competitive than the regulators and the politicians who are going to come after this space with regulations. And it's so great to have someone like that. I, I agree with you 100%, man. I'll, I'll give you a quick little story on how we came to be working with Kurt. Um, so back in August, I think it was, I, you know, I, I was just looking for, uh, you know, for people that were, were our athletes to, um, to collaborate with and to, you know, to work with them to raise money for uh, charity. And because that's one of the things that I, you know, I saw when I started here, like uh, that was one of the ideas that I had is ways that we can, uh, really make a difference and, you know, to participate in things that are good for the public good and for, you know, for humanity. And I saw NFTs as a way to do that. Um, so I reached out to him on Twitter and I said, you know, hey, Kurt, um, I got to be honest with you. I hated your guts uh, for the majority of my childhood. And, you know, the uh, your, you know, your willingness to put yourself out there and um you know, and share your opinions and and have the you know your 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 free voice is something that i respect and i um you know agree or disagree with everything that you say i uh i respect you and that's something that i look at and you know when i was younger i thought sports were everything and you know i see now that freedom and liberty and um, you know, your ability to share your opinions, which, you know, depending on where you live are, you know, pretty much under attack in a lot of ways. Um, and I see that that's, you know, something that's something that you, you can't like overlook. And, you know, he appreciated what I said and we, um, we talked and he said, yeah, you know, I've been looking to do something surrounding the, uh, bloody sock from, uh, 04 and i wanted to do an nft with that to support the ils association and you know from then on we um you know we started talking and we came to him with a design and he liked the direction we were going and uh i'll let him talk about that if he wants to because we've been keeping the design a little bit quiet so to speak but the nft that he's going to be releasing on june 2nd man uh joe is a baseball fan i know you're going to love it cosmos uh Haas, i know you're going to love it um, Eric, you'll, I'm sure you'll love it as well. Like anybody that's a baseball fan will absolutely, um, be floored by this. It's the coolest like concept. Um, and it kind of blend, blends in like the old with the new, so to speak. So I'll let him delve a little bit deeper to that when he hops on here, but he should be joining us any minute. Ken, are um, you, a, are you but, a Yanks fan? I am. Yeah, I could see why. Cause they, he shoved it on game six and I mean. <laughs> it, what a way like because so for people out there 
just imagine your favorite team, whether like any sport, and the, the other opposing team just always beats you all the time, like no matter what, for years upon years, probably your whole entire life. The Yankees basically just absolutely owned the Red Sox forever. And in fact, they were in the ALCS to go to the World Series. The Yankees were up three games. Uh, actually, game three, they won by a complete blowout by like 11 runs or whatever. So like I, I went to school up there. It was my freshman year in Connecticut. So like everyone that was a Red Sox fan was just like, uh, you know, like just really depressed and like, oh, it's just another year where the Yankees own us. And like the thing up there was like, who's your daddy? Because, like, that's what they considered the Yankees at the time. And then the Red Sox won two games in a row in extra innings, like 12 and 14 innings. Like, it was, like, a really good comeback. And uh, actually, game game four, uh, I think it was, like, Derek Roberts or someone that came in just to pinch ran. He, he, he stole second. If he was out, the series was over. Anyways, they end up coming back. I think that's Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts, that's right. It was never done before. Like, no one's ever lost, have been down 3-0 because you have to win four straight. And the Red Sox did it, and then they went on and swept the World Series. And it was cool because it was, like, the first time in, like, over 100 years the Red Sox won the uh, World Series. And the, the atmosphere was just really good up in Connecticut and just in New England in general. So it was pretty cool. And I got to go to Game 7, which was something that I'll never forget. So it's pretty cool. Gee, are you serious, man? That, yeah. That's awesome. That you I, got, didn't, I didn't even have I didn't realize. So here's, here's my story. I didn't even have tickets. And I was a freshman. I played college ball. And one of my teammates was like, man, he was a Yankees fan. And I was like, I wasn't really either fan. But at the time, I kind of just liked the Red Sox because I was up there. And it was just like, whatever. And I'm a Pirates fan. And the Pirates always suck. So I'm like, whatever. I'll, I'll go with the, with the Red Sox. And um, anyways. I was like, let's just go, man. Like, we'll we'll get in. I'll find us a way in. And it was like the second inning or third inning. It was whatever inning that J- Johnny Damon hit the home run and made it like kind of a little bit of a blowout. So we're walking around, and there was this guy in a suit behind home plate, and I could tell he was like a guard or whatever. I went up to him. I was like, hey, man, I'm from Pittsburgh. I've played ball my whole life. Like, well, I've never even been to Yankee Stadium before. I was like, what would it take for me and my buddy to get in here? And he was like a hundred bucks each. We gave him a hundred. He's like, just find seats. And then like at the time we went up to like left foot field up, like kind of upper deck. And then the Red Sox were up like six or seven runs or whatever. And a lot of Yankee fans started leaving. So we went right behind the um, on deck circle for the Yankee or the um, Red Sox. And I ended up getting like champagne sprayed on me and shit. It was so much fun, man. It was like the cool, I'll never forget it, man. It was just like, you know, just one of those memories that, you know, made me love baseball even more and things like that so it was pretty it was pretty cool yeah thank you for sharing that man uh it's like games like games like uh game six you know as a yankee fan like 2001 when luis gonzalez hit the the like seeing eye freaking game-winning hit up the middle off of uh, mariano rivera like that uh, I think I cried a little bit because uh, I was like 13 when that happened or 14 when that happened. And that was a rough one. But, you know, being up 3 nothing against the Red Sox and that that series, um, I went to high school with Andrew Giuliani, Mayor Giuliani's kid, uh, mayor of New York during um, right after 9-11. And uh, I'd been to game two or three in that series. And I got to meet you know, a few of the Red Sox. I don't think I got to meet you, Kurt, but welcome to the stage, Kurt. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's going on, man? Thank you for joining yep. us. Um, and that wasn't a seeing eye single; it was blue. Yeah, that's what I meant. Blue <laughs> that, that one hurt, man. But you know, you guys, you guys wiped us out uh, you know, after being up three zero. We should have won that. Uh, we should have won that series in four games. 
Hey, Kurt. <laughs> hey, Karen, I played college ball, and actually one of the reasons I went to school in Connecticut is because, um, like, I went up to a Red Sox and Yankees game, and, like, the atmosphere was so real. I'm from oh, Pittsburgh. So you guys remind – like, the atmosphere up there just reminds me of, like, how people love football in, P- uh, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Everyone loved yeah. baseball up there. Yep. So good times. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a, a, a very a, an environment. I'm glad I got to experience because it was unlike anything else. Yeah, it was so cool because my freshman years when you guys came back from three zero, and I, I don't know if you heard me. Where'd earlier, you go? Where'd you go to school? I went to Central Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I went up there and I didn't have tickets, and I was like, screw it, like I want to go to Game Seven because it's never been done before. So me and my buddy, one of my teammates, we drove down. And it was like after Damon hit the home run, we're walking around and I seen this guy in a suit. And I was like, man, I was like, I told him my story. I was like, I'm from Pittsburgh. I play college ball. I've never been to Yankee Stadium. This would be a dream come true. Like, how much would it take me to get in there? And he was like 100 bucks each. And then we just like found seats. And then actually, like when you guys started putting them on a little bit, a lot of Yankee fans left. And I kind of sat like three rows behind the on deck circle. And man, yeah, it was good. Manny Ramirez, Mike Myers. And I want to say, like, Pokey Reese or someone sprayed champagne all over us, and I was, like, right in the middle of it. Yeah. It was so cool. Couldn't have been a better place to have that happen than Yankee Stadium. Exactly. <laughs> I read recently that you actually – that Cashman was trying to get you on the Yankees, and you were, you were like uh, – I think it was – was it your wife convinced you or you convinced – No, uh, no. My, wife, my wife wanted to go to New York. Right, um, right, right. And – I, uh, at the time, I was kind of indifferent. I didn't want to go to Boston. But once I heard that Tito was interviewing with the Red Sox, I, I put, I, I allowed the Diamondbacks to talk to the Red Sox. And the Red Sox had already made that, already made the trade preliminary. And they did, basically, they made the deal with, with Joe Garzola Jr. and said, listen, here's the deal we'll give you. If we are, if we come into consideration, consider this our offer. So when they found out that I'd be interested in Boston, they literally told me Boston will be here tomorrow. Um, but I got a call from Cashman during the, uh, negotiations, which obviously breaks every rule in the book. Um, (laughs) but basically telling me that if I didn't sign to make, once the 72 hour window is up, he'd be there the next morning with a blank check. So I had that going for me. What made you pick Boston? Uh, the challenge. I, you know, it came down to the fact that I could go to New York and be a part of winning the 26th and 27th and 28th World Series ever, or I could go to Boston and do something that had never been done in anyone alive's lifetime. And that just was more appealing to me. Yeah, it was a good decision because at the time, like the Yankees completely owned the Red Sox for so many, like my whole life. I'm 37. I mean, it was like my whole life until you guys did what you did. Now it's like the roles are reversed now. It, it, it happened exactly the way it was supposed to happen. You know, because without, you know, if, if things don't happen the way they happen, there is no 04 because, you know, 75 and 86 and all those things in 03, that's what made 04 so special. It wasn't 04 being spent. It would have been great in and of itself. But with all that background, it made it unbelievable. So was that your, because I know you were getting, you were getting up there in age when that happened. Was that your yeah. favorite team that you've been a part of? In no. No, no, no. I had a, I was, I had a couple. The old one Diamondbacks were a blast. Ninety-three Phillies were a blast, all for different reasons, you know. But yeah, it was a great team to be a part of. But they were all very memorable in their own ways. Was your first ring the best? Because remember, your you're not talking years? about one. Well, you're not talking about one. You're talking about nine months every day. 
right? And and the amount of things that happen in that nine month window uh, when you're living literally living with twenty five guys uh, is is can be incredibly uh, bad or good. And when you're winning, it's good. Usually, when you're losing, it's bad. Yeah, my my roommate, my college roommate, he was a journeyman. He pitched. I think he pitched like twelve or thirteen years in the league. He was like on like five or six different teams. And who yeah, was it? Evan, Evan Scribner. He, okay. He's a little bit younger, but he played up until the year that the um, he played with the A's. The year that they came back, he had to win like nineteen out of twenty-one, and he actually went. Oh yeah, he went nine up, nine down against the the Rangers to for them to clinch the the division or whatever. But yeah, he had a good run at it, and um, yeah, I didn't I didn't pitch. I was an outfielder, so it's a little the odds uh-huh. are a little bit stacked. It's a little bit harder, but I'm not making excuses. He had a good run. I had a good run. Ball ball's so much fun. Yeah. Do you miss it? No, not never missed it for a second. I bet not. I I don't. I can't even like the league is. It's just so different anymore. Something I don't even. Well, it's hard yeah, to watch. But, but for me, it was all about. Um, I mean, I got to experience, you know, everything. At, at, at no hitters, perfect games, World Series wins, World Series losses. I was part of like three of the most memorable postseasons in history with '93 and Joe Carter, '01. And the Diamondbacks and 9-11, then 04 with the comeback. I mean, I, I and and you know, I I it's very much why I totally understood Tom Brady and and uh uh a couple guys in hockey that are walking away. It's not the game, you don't miss the game because if you think about it, David Ortiz had one of the greatest seasons ever in his last year, and people are like, How can you not come back? It's the offseason because when you play, there is really no offseason. You, if you're if you're any good, it's literally a week or two off, and then you're right back at it, and there is no off season. And when you lose the desire to put that work time in, it, you 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 have to have enough pride to not not try it again. Yeah, totally. At least you were a pitcher, though. You guys had a little bit more of, uh, I guess I don't want to say I'm not cutting up on pitchers, but like you didn't have to do everything that a positional player. Positional. Player, well, it, it you have it, no it's life. The same. Right. It's the same work window, though. I mean, I worked from two weeks to the end of the season till the beginning of spring training. And they might get a little more time off. In fact, they might take a lot more time off because when they get at it, it's every day and they're playing every day. And so they need their body to recover. Um, you know, I need my arm to recover for the most part, unless I've had surgery or something. So, you know, I don't start throwing and pick up a baseball till I think December 8th was usually my day, um, depending on when spring training started. But it's every day. It, 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 there's a lot in, in the offseason, you're probably doing 90% non-baseball work and 10% baseball stuff. 90% of your work is is in the in the weight room or or you know, so Yeah, I don't yeah, I don't well, understand yeah. how anyone can stay healthy playing in New England. <laughs> but it, you know what? It's it's it, it's a challenge. Um but you know, it, it's from a baseball perspective, it's all about – you got to be – you got to show up in spring training ready to start the season. You don't show up in to spring training uh, to get ready for the season anymore. Yeah, for sure. I couldn't stay healthy. Oh, yeah. That was my problem. Yeah. Well, some uh, people's bodies just aren't made that way. Real quick, guys, I just want to circle back to um, – and we'll come back to baseball in a, in a few. Uh, but, just Kurt, so I just want to talk to you a little bit about why uh, you know, why we're here the um you know your work with the ALS association has been uh you know inspirational to me and I'm sure to uh you know everybody else that knows your work with them 
know, raising nearly $20 million to support the ALS Association over the course of your career. And you've been working with them for over 30 years. Um, you know, can you talk a, a little bit about the disease and like your work with them and how you came to start? Um, you know, what made you decide, you know, hey, I want to, you know, devote some of my time to this and uh, my, and my money to this and, you know, to help the people that are afflicted by this disease. Like what started you with that? Uh, I know you're a huge Lou Gehrig fan and, um, you know, what just kind of how you how, what, how'd you get here? So in 1992, my first uh, it was my first real year in the big leagues doing anything. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies uh, have a organizational charity, and that charity is ALS. Uh, ALS is is uh, known as it's known as ALS, but it's it's ALS stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and it's a fatal disease. There is no known cure, um, and and the way I describe it is basically if you think if you put your hand in front of your face and you make a clenched fist, open and close your hand a bunch of times. What's happening is your brain is sending motor neurons to the nerves and muscles in your hand and forcing them to react. When you get ALS, your brain sends the motor neurons to the hand, except the process, the motor neurons don't actually go anywhere. They're dead. The brain sends the signal to the motor neurons, which no longer exists. So you're in your mind, you're flexing your hand. You may even feel like your hand's flexing, but it's not. And so as it kills more and more motor neurons, you lose more and more body function. Uh, ultimately, your lungs are muscles. So your body, uh, though it sends, you don't know this, it, you involuntarily send the muscles, the, the signal to your lungs to breathe. Your, your brain stops being able to activate and make that happen. Uh, and you die. Uh, unless you have a lot of money and you can afford a respirator, you can, for the most part, be kept alive on a respirator for a period of time. Um, it is still fatal. But anyway, um, that what they asked new players to the organization to do is to meet a lady named Ellen Phillips who lost her husband to ALS. And Ellen would, because basically if you're an athlete you're an, or a professional athlete, your off days are sacred days, sacred time during the season. They asked the players to come in on an off day uh, for a, a charity event, which is the ALS uh, charity and ALS fundraiser, it's an ch- autograph and a party and auction. Um, and Ellen explains why, and she introduces a patient with it. And, and the gentleman that day that I met was named Dick Bergeron, and it just so happened and coincided with the time when I was starting to get into golf. And uh, Dick had told us that that was the first place he ever noticed something odd was on the golf course, and he couldn't. Found he wasn't able to grip his putter right. It got weird and it just kept going and going and going. And finally, like most patients, he spent 12 to 18 months looking for a doctor uh, uh, to tell him what was wrong. ALS is one of the most misdiagnosed. uh, I'm not sure what the percentage is now, but it usually went for 12 to 18 months being misdiagnosed as anything but ALS because so few doctors were aware of it and informed of it and understood it. Um, That's different now, obviously. Um, but he was diagnosed and, and told, and, and he was very well off. He was affluent. Uh, he was probably not the nicest guy in his, in his, in his pre ALS life. Uh, well, he wasn't, he wasn't the night. He'd tell you that. Um, and so I, I lived with, uh, uh, a relationship with Dick, uh, between the day I met him there and the day he passed. And my wife and I decided we were at a time and a place where we could, spend some time away from the park getting involved in this was our charity and we we went as as anybody that knows me i went you know knee deep full we started the 
the strikeout for for ALS, which I donated a hundred dollars for every strikeout and a thousand dollars for every win from then until I retired um, every year. And we had a fan component to that, and and fans would donate and and sign up. And every year we'd have a, a an auction, a party at the end of the year, and I'd meet all the fans, and they'd meet patients, and it was a, just another way to create awareness because that was that it was and still is one of the biggest uh, hurdles. Um, so we, and again, we're 33 years after the fact, we're still involved to some degree, certainly not as much as I was when I played, but this token, this NFT, uh, I'm incredibly proud of, incredibly honored, uh, to, I, I can't wait for people to see it. Um, it's an homage to Lou Gehrig and, and I guess in some way, uh, I'm involved in it, uh, and, and uncomfortable as it might be, I'm our locker. It, it's, I, I don't know how much we've told them about it, Ken, but it's, no, I wanted it's, to let you, you know, share what you wanted to share because I didn't know how yeah. much you wanted to share. No, it's a, it's a, it's a picture uh, of uh, of uh, Mr. Garrick's locker and mine uh, side by side, and the background is is amazing uh, and very his, you know, history based. And you know, there was Ken will tell you I was very uh, adamant about detail in this and making sure that my locker wasn't at the same height as Lou Gehrig's locker uh, to, to uh, you know, I, I, I just was, I, well, I wasn't comfortable with it. This was a man who uh, will, was, might've been the greatest first baseman to ever played a game. Uh, and clearly at the end of his career, he was playing baseball with ALS, which I just, I can't comprehend that. Um, but I got to know the man very, very clearly uh, as someone who was a world changing personality. My first son is named Gehrig. Um, and it's been, a, a my kids grew up around ALS patients. Uh, and by that, I mean, they would, they went, they would walk into rooms and they walk into rooms. Now wheelchairs don't bother them. Ventilators don't bother them. Colostomy bags don't bother them. They understand, um, that when they get into a room like that, their job is to make other people smile and make other people feel good about themselves. And I think one of the best and most revealing and stunning things about people with ALS Every one of them has been given a, a death sentence for committing no crime. Yet if you go into a room full of ALS patients, they will be the smilingest, happiest people in the room. And it, it's profound and it's kind of breathtaking until you realize that they're waking up every morning with what you and I would think would be, oh, my God, I'm going to die. They don't think anything like that. They think, oh, my God, I'm here another day. I get to live. And they really push to to live Every day is to its fullest. And, and, and you have to understand ALS is a family disease. It's a community's disease. Uh, it financially destroys families for generations if they're not properly equipped insurance-wise. Um, uh, it's one of the things uh, that I think the, United, the military has just started to accept ALS, which is beyond uh, repulsive to me. Um, but you you see a lot of, not a lot. And I, I use the term a lot, uh, just because it's more than normal, uh, veterans have it, uh, football players. I, I absolutely believe that head trauma is going to be a foundational piece to, to this, uh, as, as a causation kind of a thing. Uh, I think it's going to end up being, uh, head trauma is going to be, end up being a causation to many of the neurological illnesses that we're going to diagnose. And I think we're going to find a cure for most of them, if not all of them at the same time, because I think once we unlock one, I think we'll unlock the rest. But all that being said, uh, unfortunately it's about the dollar. They need money. 
And, you know, so I'm in a position uh, and you're in a position now to help uh, raise. And, and there's going to, here's the thing. There's going to be a last dollar, right? There's going to be a dollar that does the final, that, that closes the final act, be it research, be it, you know, a grant, something. There's going to be that dollar that ends up being the one that cures ALS. And uh, I, I wouldn't mind that being my dollar or a dollar that I've helped raise through this this program. And, and I got to tell you, the guys at Onyflix, um have been, I, I want to say legendary, uh, especially Ken in their cooperation and collaboration with me. Uh, they've been ev- understanding, if not everything else, um, of time and my time and um as passive as you could possibly ask for from, from my perspective. Uh, but also putting together what I think, I, you know, the NFT space is one of those places where a, a lot of us Gen Xers uh, are looking at going, okay, I'll, I'll skip that. Um, but I think that there's some legal and, and popular methods that you can trust. And, you know, I got to tell you guys now, uh, I wouldn't have done this. I, I, an NFT was the last thing in my mind. I just didn't want to get into the space. There's too much. Um, getting to understand it and understanding how the Omniflex, Omniflex network works within it is I'm trusting. Now, I, 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 I'm not promising anything. I'm not, I, I can't promise anything for another entity. I can tell you this. If I thought that there was a chance that this was a scam or this was a... a uh, uh, you know, a, a Bernie Madoff thing, I wouldn't be here. Uh, I wouldn't be here. I would, I would, I would either not be doing it or I would uh, have done it with someone else. Uh, I got, a, I've been approached by an, an inordinate amount of companies asking me to do this very thing. I've said no to all of them because they didn't pass the smell test and, and the guys at Omniflix uh, did. And so uh, I am proud to be a part of this. I think what we're doing is potentially a trendsetter for the future for charitable causes. Uh, and I would love to see this blow up and do something that became newsworthy, uh, not just for Omniflix and, and the Omniflix network, but for ALS and, uh, and the business of fundraising for charities through NFTs. I really appreciate that, Kurt. Uh, that means a lot, you know, coming from you. Thank you so much for uh, for that. Um, you know, we we like I was telling telling everybody, you know, when uh, when I first reached out to you, you know, I said, hey, listen, man, I used to hate your guts, but uh, you know, I respect you, and I um, I was curious if you'd be interested in doing uh, you know an NFT for a charitable cause or something that you know is dear to your heart. And you responded, you know, pretty quickly, and said, you know, I've been thinking a little bit about doing something with the bloody sock and seeing how uh, I could help ALS. And uh, I guess the rest is uh, or will be history. Um, now, when we started doing this, I, I'll be honest, I really did not know a whole lot about the disease. I knew about the ice bucket challenge. I knew, you know, it was designed to uh, raise awareness for ALS. Um, but I didn't really know until we started talking, you know, how devastating the disease is for people and, you know, meeting, uh, Jimmy virtually, uh, when we did the interview with Jimmy Poole, uh, which will be going, uh, that, that episode will be going live. Uh, I believe the, this time, uh, a week from today, we'll going, we'll be going live, uh, on Omniflix TV and everybody will have a, have a chance to check that out. Um, you know, that was, that was really tough to watch in some ways because it just, you know, when you told me that people still have the full cognitive function and are able to, you know, understand everything that's going on around them, that, you know, just 
the fact that he was able to do that with us uh, meant a lot because I'm sure that had to be hard for him. Yeah, it was uh, Jimmy Poole. Uh, for those of you following uh, the, the video he's talking about, I got a chance to talk to Jim and Kim Poole. And um, Jimmy is at a non-communicative stage of the disease. And generally, uh, as you look at the disease, for those of you that don't know it or don't understand it, one of the things you should understand is uh, higher, it, lower is better. And by that, I mean, uh, if you notice it in your feet first, uh, I, I'm using this term relative. Th that's a good thing. Um, the higher it gets, the closer to the end you get. And generally, uh, the last and latter stages of the disease involve the losing the ability to communicate with your voice um, because your your throat and larynx are muscles, and you stop you losing the, you using you stop with the ability uh, to talk. Uh, that's why generally, the higher up you get diagnosed with with symptoms the shorter lifespan you have. Uh, average lifespan is three years from diagnosis. Most people have it for 12 months plus prior to a diagnosis. Um, but uh, Jimmy is non-communicative. And if you watch the video, you'll understand what a devastating disease it is, number one. And number two, uh, the spouse, uh, who is literally picking up uh, and putting down for two people every day, 24 hours a day. Uh, it's overwhelming. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that a lot of the, uh, you'll see a lot of the local ALS clinics and they'll, 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 they'll farm out for, and that's a part of another reason why I'm involved with ALS, because I know a, a significant portion of every dollar donated goes directly to patient care and research. And by patient care, they'll send hospice workers, they'll send, uh, uh, workers to give mom a day off so somebody will come to your house and and help you help your patient for the day while mom takes a day off which they need it's it's incredibly incredibly uh uh what's the word i'm looking for uh it, corrosive from a life perspective it, you, you lose the ability to function your normal life it, especially if you have kids i can't even imagine um and so things like that yeah. Oh, if you if you want, I have a little clip that I can play from the interview uh, when you know sure. uh, when Kim is talking about how he came to realize that he had it. Yep. Sure. Uh, so I'll just cue this up for you guys, and uh, you can take a listen to that. Left hand, and um, and then um, his shoulder was really bugging him, um, but kind of looked, seemed like it was like a frozen shoulder. So both of these things. Oh, um, both of these things were you were like you know the georgia tech orthopedic guy looked at him and said yeah probably from you know pitching all that pitching right so initially yeah. um, we were going down that path of uh cubital tunnel syndrome right and frozen shoulder and um we were training for a 5k for his 55th 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 Fifty-fifth mm. birthday, and all of a sudden, his left leg was acting weird. It was fine on a treadmill, but if we were outside, it wouldn't quite, you know, it just wasn't responding normally. And that's right. when right. Um, I was like, "Okay, this is not. We are not doing any surgeries on right. your arm mm. or your wrist. Yeah. We're not doing anything." Well, until we I, figure that out. it women's intuition, right? I mean. 
you know, one of the things that I was, and this was 30 years ago, one of the things that, that really kind of put me back uh, on my heels was the fact that the length of time between symptoms and diagnosis. And back then it was, I don't know what it is now, but it was almost three years. I mean, people were, were taking years to be diagnosed because no one, and I think a lot of the medical field doing the diagnosing wasn't up to speed on ALS and the symptoms. And um, that has a dramatic impact, especially when you consider what the, the, the lifespan expectancy is for someone diagnosed with ALS. And, yeah. and the thing I think that I, um, that I found, uh, and I still find one of the most amazing things is in 30 years dealing with ALS, I have never been around people more positive, more uh, mentally strong. And, and, and speak to that, Jimmy, um, and Kim as well. I've always looked at ALS patients as uh, mind is very uh, impactful on a daily basis to how you're going to live with this disease. Yeah. Um, he said, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, and I, the same with us. Everyone we've met, they are, I mean, it's just amazing what they do and their positive outlook. Um, I think, you know, we do come across some that aren't, but they don't do well. Right. Oh, right. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly. So, I mean, you can you can hear, you know, him uh, kind of struggling to communicate, and that's got to be so hard. You know, it's to you know, you're, you're used to going out for five k runs, and all of a sudden now you're in a wheelchair in six months. Uh, that's that's got to be just devastating emotionally for somebody that you know was you know twenty years ago pitching in the major leagues. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those. I don't think any of us can can grasp it uh, you can think about it but i don't think you can actually realize what it is what it means and what it looks like and what it feels like I, it's just it's and let's find a cure before any of us has to realize it uh that's that was one of the other pieces of why we got involved i don't want to be sitting here 20 years from now after meeting this guy and have a be diagnosed with als or have my kids diagnosed with als uh and not have done something. And you can pick a million charities to say that about, but this was ours. And, you know, it, God has, has put us in different lives. We are, when we moved to Medfield to play for Boston, one of our best friends, one of my second son, his best friend has uh, spinal muscular atrophy. He was born with a childhood form of ALS. Uh, and he was given, they're not supposed to live to be 20 years old. He's 23 now just graduated college, um, and the amount of time, effort, and energy his family has spent, because the whole family revolves around this guy, and uh, he has a brother and a sister who both, they're both one of them's gonna be a doctor, uh, they're incredible, but the family has gone, you know, we, we talk about having tough days at work, it, it, these people have always been able to make my tough days uh, thought of in context. Right. A tough day is giving up nine runs in two and a third. No, a tough day is getting up, having to put your husband in a wheelchair and take him to the bathroom, get him into the, cr the crane lift to put him on the toilet, then wipe his butt and then take him off the toilet, put him in the shower, hand wash him, get him. That's a tough day. And yeah, so uh, I always felt that I wanted 
to be I they, they always gave us perspective you know when my wife and I have battled cancer a couple of times and people are like you know wow doesn't having cancer give you perspective no no it doesn't I already had perspective I didn't take life for granted now listen I every I made every decision living every day to its fullest no one has that I know of anyway but these people have made my life richer than I could have ever made theirs. Uh, what they've given us and what they've given my family is far, 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 far more than what we've given them. And I'll be forever grateful for that. I just want to be in a time and a place before I leave this earth when Lou Gehrig's name is associated with the greatest baseball player that ever played first base as opposed to a fatal neurological disease. Yeah, and just to put it into context, and I saw Joe, you had your hand up, and I'll, I'll come right to you in, in just a second. But uh, just to put it in the context, you know, what a great player Lou Gehrig was. Uh, he had five seasons with 40 or more home runs, and there's only six other players to ever do that. Uh, Babe Ruth, Harmon Killebrew, Mike Schmidt, Sammy Sosa, Alex Rodriguez, and Albert Pujols. And, uh, you know, Lou Gehrig still, you know, he pro- I would imagine he, st- he had the disease in 1938, uh, right, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. So, and he still hit, you know, 30 home runs that year. And that was uh, his second to last season in baseball. And the last season, I think he got, you know, he was four for 28 and he, um, you know, he, did, he wasn't able to play anymore. And that's, I guess, when it, you know, really started to take hold on him. Um, but uh, Joe, you, you had a question? Oh, yeah. No, thanks, Chev. And uh, thanks, uh, Kurt, for, uh, for doing this. Um, before you came on the space, I was just kind of letting people know who are not familiar with baseball or, or, or you, just kind of how lucky the the nft space is to have someone with so much you know just like competition in their blood all the time and you know we could hear how determined you are and optimistic at the same time because obviously als is lucky to have you as an advocate but you know a lot of people you know don't have the like the social status or the you know the name that like an entertainer or athlete has but do you have any suggestions for people that maybe have you know part of smaller circles that can still oh, absolutely. Easy, do something. Easy. Yeah, I would love to hear you talk about that. So, there are there a are a lot question. of people in here that have that. So there's a that's a great question and there's an absolute easy answer to this. You know, while money is absolutely at the heart of getting ALS cured, there are local chapters in just about every city in the country. You can donate your time to a local chapter, be it taking groceries to an ALS family, uh running errands for an ALS family volunteering your time to take care of an ALS patient or learning what day care looks like for an ALS patient, learning that, and then going out and taking care of a patient for the day, spending time. There are people with ALS that are probably, uh, uh, that are lonely and just sitting around bullshitting with them, being a human being to them, giving them a, a semblance of what normal life used to be like when they could get out and be around people. Those things are probably way more valuable to them than money. You don't have to give money. But giving your time, a concerted effort to give your time is every bit as valuable, if not more so than anything I'll ever do. I appreciate that, man. You know, you have, there are a lot of people in this, in this space right now that have like, you know, they have YouTube followings or they run yep. Twitter spaces and they yep. have small, you know, they have small followings that can grow yep. and can scale. So I think yep. I, I appreciate you answering that and giving some, you know, some insights yep. there. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, this is a space that has the ability, can you imagine if some of the big guys like Ninja or, or Tim the Tapman or, or uh, the, a couple of the other big, the, the, a couple of the other really, really big ones 
Can you imagine if they told their audience, you know, hey, today we're all going to send a dollar to ALS or we're all going to send five dollars to ALS. Can you imagine what they could do for, for any charity and not just ALS, but any of them? Their ability and, and, and a lot of them do. Uh, I mean, uh, who is it? it? What is his name? The Beast? Um, Mr. Beast. I think, Mr. Beast. He has a massive following. I know there's some some uh, bullshit. Uh, uh, what is it? Controversy going around. But, you know, the fact of the matter, the guy goes around, and gives away loads of money. Um, can you imagine if if he did that? Like, and there's a gentleman that my father-in-law watches who plays slots in Vegas and he has a huge following. Um, can you imagine if he did a day where where he donated all his winnings to ALS and asked his audience to match at 10 percent or something like that? There are so many ways these people could help and raise money for other sites. And a lot of them do. Um, but it would be great to see this potential maximized for sure and then maybe you know maybe omflix as a platform can kind yep. of integrate something for yep. the youtubers who are going to use the platform like me i see tank down there i know there are others as well so yeah i no, appreciate that man that that's definitely yep. helpful sometimes you just think like you know what do i have to do i have to just do this 5k but there's got to be other stuff like you said the right. time is is just as valuable so no thanks yep. man and you know i'm I was a, a huge Met fan when you were on the Phillies and you, you like murdered us all the time. That's, I, I, I got to tell you, that's, that's one of my, the worst losses of my career ever. I, I know what you're going to say. The walk off yep. in the night when you refused yep. to come out of the game. That's the only sure. time I remember you, you losing to the Mets, but I it was like, Alfonso might've got yours. I can't remember who I it was, but four nothing, I took a four nothing lead into the bottom of the ninth. And I was the first pitcher in baseball history since world war two to blow it all by myself. I remember you refused to come out of the game. I'm like, all right, this guy wants to finish the game. I love it, yep. but I'm a Mets fan. Like, can we do something here? I think it was like a, a walk-off single. Either Alfonso it hit it or John, Alfonso John hit it. Olrood. John Olrood. Ah, right, well, he hits a lot of people, so I guess you single can't feel that. Left. Single to left. And it was funny because in the middle of that inning, Tito came out, and he's he had Eric Plantenberg was warming up. Great guy, good teammate. <laughs> He looks at me, and I'm pardon my French. He looks at me, and I said, "There's no fucking way you're bringing Eric Plantenberg into this fucking game." And he was like, "He was like, I remember." He said, "There's no way I'm gonna bring Eric fucking Plantenberg. I just came out there to give you a breather." He walks back to the dugout, and Olrud's coming up, and Lieberthal Lee comes out, and he goes, "What's up?" I go, "Listen, I don't know that I've ever gotten this guy out. I don't have a pitch for him." So throw him a fastball away hope he lines a hits a line drive to left and ronnie catches it and doubles off a runner i throw a fastball away hits a line drive one hopper to left gant picks it up doesn't throw the guy at home we lose and I, I i sat on the bench for like two hours after that game i, I remember watching that i think it was a day game it was like i remember yeah, for some reason yeah, yeah. At home. i remember yep. watching that and i remember it was kind of a close play at the plate but it was no, I, I, no it wasn't really close enough no? but, no, it was he was he was but it was just I, I remember because Vin uh I had a four nothing league, Piazza single, and then Ventura hit a two run homer. And I was like, Oh damn, I lost my shutout. And then about fifteen minutes later, after hitting two guys with two strikes, uh I I the game ended. It was I was devastated. Well, no, it's that's funny you remember it with that much detail, but I definitely oh, remember I watching. Remember that whole inning. Oh yeah. Hey, hey, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tax accountant. I'm a numbers guy. A lot of people don't realize this, that, like maybe even you, Joe, but like the total amount of MLB players like and, and ever made it to the big leagues, you can put them all in any stadium and it won't fill it up, which is a crazy thing to think of. So next wow. time you go to the stadium, think of all the 
players that's ever played baseball at the major league level, and you still can't fill up just like even PNC Park. It only holds like thirty six thousand. You can't even fill that that park up. So that's pretty no, cool. I, I, that I you, did not know that, but I know I know Kurt Schilling belongs in the Hall of Fame. Not that much. I know. <laughs> Postseason numbers alone, like just I think I think you got to run the I'm looking right now. I didn't even notice. Uh, he's one of 18 pitchers to ever beat every major league baseball team. That's pretty cool. I mean, he's cool. That, that just meant that just meant I was old. Hey, man, you, it doesn't matter. Like you were you were doing your thing at an old age. You know what I mean? So, what? <laughs> I was going to ask you, how is your arm feeling? Pretty close to Pedro Martinez, I think, in the postseason puts him in, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, your arm I don't use it anymore. Yeah, but is, is is it like I swear? Like I'm I'm only 37, and if I don't keep using my arm, even if I just toss a little bit, my arms just get so stiff and sore. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't use it anymore, so it doesn't matter how it is. The same thing with my ankle. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> has the, the ankles like it, does that still uh, you know <laughs> give you trouble or no? Oh yeah, but I I do very little. I mean, I have a farm and animal rescue, and I'm working on the farm a lot, but I don't I don't have to pitch or run so i don't you know yeah so it, check out the videos guys check out the videos occur with the ferrets man you'll it's it's ah, like yeah it's it's great hey joe uh, i was thinking um similar to the question you said that how we can help out you know i think just like maybe like committing to like a day of staking rewards or something to to donating like it just as everyday people, not even, you know, not all of us have. A Yo, that's crazy. That's crazy. Cause Cecil literally messaged me and said the same exact thing. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I'm I mean, just, this right, thing, he's, he's, he's right though. Like this space offers a lot more options than the traditional world for just doing microtransactions, being able to kind of automate some, some regular payments and whatnot. So that's why I, in the beginning I said, I were lucky that someone with this status is obviously not only, helping raise money for a cause, but kind of helping shine a light on the potential of the Web3 space, which is probably going to be kind of under under attack from regulators and governments for oh, at least a little while. I thought the other place I'd really like to go with this in the future is is to raise money for military families um, that have lost uh, loved ones in the line of duty, uh, policemen, firemen, uh, you know, first responders and families of military guys that have been uh, disabled in combat who come back through and work through the, like the Fisher House is another charity we're heavily involved with, which is an amazing charity um, and wounded warriors and stuff like that. I would really like to see an angle there, and, you know, on any given night, there's 32,000 homeless veterans in this country, which is a disgrace. Um, and that needs to be fixed. And this is potentially another platform we could definitely do. Can you imagine the, the NFTs you could make with military images? I mean, that would be just badass. Uh, I see Zoe has a question. And just real quick, though, Kurt, funny that you say that because I um, and maybe I'm, you know, uh, maybe this will incentivize or not incentivize, but it'll drive them to get involved uh, more quickly. Uh, I spoke to David, we uh, David Wells's wife uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I, I still need to follow up with them because I was away at NFT NYC last week, so I haven't had a chance to. But this week I'm going to reach out to them again because uh, she was very receptive to what I um, mentioned because they have a foundation for that helps veterans as well. Uh, I know you played with David uh, for I yeah. think one year when he was in Boston, uh, but do you have any like um, contact with him still? Uh, not much, but I, I do. I mean, that, that certainly won't be challenging. 
Yeah, no, I was, uh, yeah, I think, I thought, I'll, we can talk about that because I, I think the, like uh, reading about his foundation, it's a lot, it's in line with a lot of what you uh, had said that you wanted to uh, to yeah. do for veterans. Yep. Uh, Zoe, you have a question? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to chime in because, uh, you know, the topic of uh, supporting veterans with NFTs came up. Um, it's been a moment since I, I've talked, but uh, I work with um, the Giving Block. For those who weren't here for the intro, uh, we help facilitate crypto donations for around 2,000 nonprofits, including the ALS Association. <laughs> Excuse me. And we work very closely with, um, you know, NFT projects in the space. But I wanted to bring up that uh, I actually have found that um, there are quite a few military and veteran focused nonprofits that have been very excited about NFTs. Um, some of them have already raised funds through NFTs and, and some of them are just started. Um, Canines for Warriors has been super excited about this yes. space. Um, Veterans Outreach Center, uh, as well as um, Disabled American Veterans, DAV. Uh, they're working on doing a fundraiser as well. So just wanted to bring up that there's definitely a lot of potential there. We've already seen, you know, some start. And I think there's um, a lot more work that can be done and a lot more support that can come from the, the NFT communities. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, hey, hey, you know, there's something else. I don't know if, um, you know, obviously, you know, Kurt's just kind of getting into the space on a deep level. But, you know, we have we have lots of conferences year round was wondering if he was ever interested in, you know, setting up something at an NFT conference or, you know, visiting a couple of conferences just to kind of, or just sending people that work alongside just to uh, kind of spread the word that way. Cause sometimes well, we get wrapped always, up. In as Ken will tell you, I mean, I'm always interested in helping. It's just a scheduling thing. Uh, you know, I need, course, I need yeah. an, a significant amount of advanced notice. Um, and I'm not going to bullshit you. If I can't do it, I can't do it. Uh, of course. Yeah. We're, we're trying to set something up actually in Nashville. I don't know where you live, but maybe end of the summer NFT conference. It'd be great to have it like a charitable cause there as well. Just, you know, maybe, maybe Chev will be able to, uh, you know, give you some details as we, as we get them organized and send them your way. You never know. It might work out. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. He's on board. That'd be amazing. How's your golf game? Uh, stale. <laughs> it's stale. Um, uh, I, I, my ankle injury in 04 was the last time prior to that when I played significant. I played all the time. I, 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 ha I actually owned a driving range uh, when I was in Philadelphia, uh, right by my house. And I, I, I started learning the game then. And I, I got down to about a two handicap and, uh, you know, played religiously um all the time and after 04 i just didn't have it in me i didn't have the time uh, i it took me too long to get back on my feet um and i just i just stopped i played sporadically since then some charity tournaments but nothing uh because i can't play casually if i'm gonna play i need to play knowing i'm gonna you know i'm gonna go out and challenge par and i nice. can't do that and that's, <laughs> it's, just not, it's not fun for me otherwise I think uh, I mentioned to you one of our community members actually owns your old golf, your old driving range now. Yes, you did, and that person I've actually that person has reached out to me, which is very cool. <laughs> That's a small small world, man. Oh yeah. 
Um, so I'm going to open it up to, uh, to everybody else uh, that wants to hop up and, and uh, has a question for Kurt. Um, you know, we got about 20 minutes or so left. Um, and Kurt, thank you again so much for your time, yeah. uh, for being here tonight with us. Uh, it really means a lot that you're, um, you know, dedicating some of your time to chat with our, with our community and, uh, to raise awareness about your project and all the work that you do for ALS. We really appreciate you. Um, yeah, no uh, yeah thank you. Uh, real quick, let me see what we got. And, uh, Eric, you've been quiet. You got any questions for Kurt? No, I'm just, uh, and a lot of people, you know, talk about the 2004 um, World Series, but to me, my favorite one was when you and Randy Johnson, you know, did the comeback against the Yankees. Sorry, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> but seeing you beat those Yankees, right? Like, as they were still, like, in the prime, you know, they had just oh, yeah. won all they, those Remember, they were, they were, yeah, they were trying to go for a consecutive. They were, they, they had, yeah. you know, they were looking for their fourth in a row. Yeah, they were. So it was, it was so great. Like, man, that, yeah. that was such a happy moment I, for me. I, I didn't I think agree. I had a shot, but it was awesome. <laughs> Dude, and we should have won that game for, we should have won that series for nothing. We dom I, we dominated them so ridiculously you, bad. Yeah, you and Randy Johnson were just like pitching out of your minds. It was insane. Yeah, I, I, good I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. We were a little sexy then. We we uh, <laughs> we got after it pretty good, um, I, I, and 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 that was a hell of a team, but uh, you know testament. To, but when you go back and think about that World Series, it, in a sense, it happened for the country. It happened exactly the way it should have happened, because everybody hates the Yankees except Yankee fans, right? Yeah, yeah. The whole country though was was rooting for New York because of what nine eleven. So. We win the first two in Arizona and kick the crap out of them. And then we go to New York and they have three of the most amazing games in the history. That city just erupts and there's like so much joy and happiness, you know, and after being at ground zero and seeing what it was like, that was everything that should have happened there. And then we come back yeah. and win. Yeah. So the <laughs> yeah, Yankees they, lost, which everybody loved, and they won all the games in New York, which everybody they, loved. Yeah, they got to have their moment in New York. For sure. Do you ever do you ever talk to Randy Johnson? Give him a hard time for joining the Yankees. Uh, we haven't we haven't talked uh, in a long time. He's just not. Randy's a, a private guy. Uh, was as a player and is in real life. And um, you know, once he uh, he and his wife, my wife and his uh, ex wife, are still very close. But uh, no, he's he's doing his professional photography thing, and and I'm not. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I saw he's doing that. That's pretty cool. He's pretty. He's now. really good too. You should get him involved in NFTs. Probably <laughs> yeah, he uh, he's actually going to have his own uh, exhibit at the at the Hall of Fame ceremony this year. Oh wow! Did you think he would be successful in New York? Because like some you know some people are just like they have a huff, they have a hard time. Did I did rivers. I think he would be Did I think he would be successful? Yeah. Um, well, he's Randy Johnson, number one. Uh, but uh, that is the to me, that was the worst possible market a guy like that could go to um, because of his distaste and dislike of the media and knowing what the media in New York was. Well, uh, I, I didn't. I didn't think he was gonna do good because he's like Samson. They made him cut his lock, you know. That's, yeah. that's <laughs> and shave his face. Like, yeah, he. Well, I knew it wasn't going to go well when the first first video out of there was him walking down the street, pushing a reporter aside, saying, do you know who I am? <laughs> That's when I realized it probably wasn't going to work out. 
Yeah. He's literally I mean, 6'10". <laughs> He's a big-ass dude. Yeah. I couldn't believe that he had a five ERA, you know, in that in the year in the is like he still won like almost twenty games, but yeah, I could, I couldn't believe that going from you know I figure, you know, granted he wasn't throwing hundred miles an hour anymore, but well, still, you, you got to remember too, he was forty something. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he was a young pup. That's true. That's true. Yeah, and Yankee Stadium's a joke. It's definitely not for pitchers. It's for hitters for sure. Well, you got to pitch to that park. That park is made for left-handed hitters, which he rarely faced. Um, so, yeah. But, he again, Randy Johnson, he might be probably one of the five greatest pitchers of all time. So, there's that. Kurt, if you could play with a single, you know, active uh, baseball player right now. Uh, Mike Trout. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's an easy answer, right? Yeah, Mike Trout. Uh, Otani would be an interesting one, too, but Mike Trout. I think Mike Trout's the greatest <laughs> offensive player anybody alive will ever see. I can't believe you didn't say a, yeah, Otani because he's a pitcher, too, and he can rake. Yeah, but Mike, Trout's, Mike Trout is only the fourth player ever to hit 300 homers, 300 doubles, and steal 300 bases. The other three are Willie Mays, A-Rod, and Barry Bonds. Yeah, that's a pretty good list of that's studs right there. That's what that yeah, is. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Atani, that's just so cool. Like, because you know, pitchers, I mean, pitchers barely can hit. I'm, I'm sure you probably barely got a few hits in your career. I don't know how many hits you got, but like pitchers, yeah, a, pitchers go over, up. I had like 160. I had like 160. So he's up. <laughs> there you go. You didn't have any dingers though, right? Did you have yeah, any dingers? No, no, oh. no. I missed. Sadly, I missed mine by like. Uh, a foot, and it was only because of the ballpark I hit in. So, um, oh, shit. <laughs> but, but I don't think people—I don't think people truly understand what they're seeing with him. We're not talking about a guy who plays both positions. We're talking about a guy who is the ace of the staff and might be the best hitter on the team. Like, okay, that's Babe Ruth never did that. Babe Ruth pitched and then he hit. Right? He he had very little overlap of the two. This guy's doing it every day. It's insane. Yeah, I guess, uh, we, there's nobody alive has ever seen them. I guess the closest would be like Rick Ankiel before he like you know started walking everybody. But again, same thing. Rick Ankiel did that as a he was a pitcher, then he quit, and then he was a hitter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah Kurt, I mean, Kurt, who do you think? Uh, sorry, sorry, shit. I, I want to ask oh, who, who, if he thinks anyone else from his era um, has been he'd like to see in the Hall of Fame that's been snubbed or overlooked. Uh, I thought Todd, Todd Helton should be a first, uh, first ballot guy. Um, um, I, I'll tell you who I thought got screwed in a big way. And I thought he was, he might not be a hall of famer, but he should have gotten a lot of consideration. Who was it? It was Kenny Lofton. Oh, he was awesome, man. He was awesome. He, I think I was, him He did not deserve to be off the ballot. He was in the playoffs like every year, I think, his whole career. But he, he look at his career. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, probably the guy that's going to go and end up being the most underrated guy from my era, maybe won't get in the Hall of Fame, will be Bobby Abreu. Yeah, quietly consistent. Always go hitting. Bobby, go look at Bobby Abreu's stats compared to Tony Gwynn's. Oh, don't do that to me. I love Tony Gwynn. Oh, boy. It will stun you. It will stun you when you look at, at, at some of the comparisons. Obviously, Tony was a first ballot hitter, but 
they're not that different in many ways. And, 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 and uh, I played with Bobby, so I got to see that. And so I would, uh, I would tell you that the separation between the two is not as big as you might think it is. And if you're talking about one of the greatest hitters that ever lived and the other guy being somewhat comparable to him, then there's a problem if that second guy is, is not considered Hall of Fame talent. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Right. You're right. Hey, Chef, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to harp on this one more time, but, you know, we're setting up that NFT conference in Nashville. What if we could somehow do the tickets as NFTs through Omniflix, do a percentage to ALS, and then if it so happens that it works with Kurt's schedule, he wants to drop in, do a little 20-minute uh, chat at the conference, maybe we can make that work. And if he can't make it, at least we have a clause associated with the ticket sales where we could get back something. Can we make the tickets? Uh, um, consider, consider it done. We do that. You know, we, we did the tickets for Cosmoverse last year and we're doing, you know, we have our whole ticketing interface uh, where, you know, an, anyone that's having an event can do NFT tickets um, and then also buy them with either fiat or with crypto um, using Stripe. So that is 100% doable. And I know the team will be on board for that. Uh, worst case, you know, if Kurt can't be there in person, you know, uh, maybe you can do like a, you know, a video that we can play there. But it would be amazing to have sure. them. And easy to uh, direct those funds over to the foundation, I'm guessing, if, even if it's paid in crypto, huh? That's what always here for. Yeah, cool. No, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to harass um, probably you and Tank about this uh, conference and see if we can get it done. What do you think, Kurt? Yeah, no, that's interesting. Do you own any Bitcoin, Kurt? Uh, a little bit. There you go. <laughs> Uh, we got a question from Matt Anthony, who just came up. Hey, everybody. Hey, Kurt, great to talk to you. Kurt, when, um, as a Red Sox fan, lifelong, is there, um, when you came to the team from Arizona, um, can, can you describe what you felt like in terms of, like, the city and the, the fans uh, and the intensity yeah, I, here? I wasn't ready for it. I, I, so, so understand, I, I grew up as a fan of baseball. I remember my first vivid memory as a nine-year-old were was the '75 Bucky Dent playoffs in the World Series, Dodgers, and right, Mr. October, and all that other stuff. But I grew up as a fan of the game, uh, everything about it, um, and so I understood. You know, I'd heard about the 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 fervor of a, uh, of the Red Sox fans and stuff, and I played in Philadelphia, um, and I played on the road. I played in front of them. Uh, I wasn't ready for it. Um, in any capacity. And I certainly didn't understand or appreciate to the level of that I should have the, the Red Sox-Yankee rivalry. Um, but I also had no problem with either for this reason. I never had a problem with fans who booed me, who MF'd me, who, whatever, uh, when I didn't perform. I was getting paid an exorbitant amount of money to, to, to perform. And when I didn't perform and fans booed me, that's what the hell they're supposed to do. Um, so I was always, and especially in Philly, I was always, the fans were great to my family and I. And Philly fans are known as a rough bunch. And they are. They only boo players that suck. It, it, it's really that simple. And, and uh, as an athlete, I have to accept that, right? I mean, uh, and on the flip side, um, when you, the, the ultimate sign of respect to me was playing in New York Stadium and having Yankee fans hate your guts. 
because Yankee fans don't boo players that suck. They don't care about you. They don't even acknowledge you. And they're such smart fans that they will rip you apart during batting practice in the outfield by saying things about you and your mother and your family that <laughs> are most times true uh, and oftentimes hurtful, uh, uh, which makes them phenomenal fans. Uh, you know, Philly fans did that physically. They just beat the hell out of you. <laughs> um, but as a home player, you fall in love with those people. Those are your guys. Those are the, those are your troops. And so uh, I love playing in Philly. I love playing in Boston. Two different experiences, two incredibly uh, uh, great experiences. Um, but Boston was a different animal, man. I mean, I, I, I thank God I got a chance to experience that level of intensity. Because I really believe, and it was kind of true. I think in 04, uh, that when I was in Boston, I don't think we liked each other on the field. There, you know, I, I respected Jeter. Um, you know, I respected uh, the, the players and Clemens, obviously. But there were guys on the team I didn't like. I, I, like, I like, like, personally didn't like. And I think that there, uh, you know, that, I think that's changed. Because in the 70s, I think they fucking hated each other. Like, really hated each other. Like, didn't like each other. Like, wanted to kick each other's ass. Uh, and I think that tapered down and, and simmered down. Uh, but there was still a, a rivalry in the, in, the, in the early, in 2004 and five. We didn't like each other, but the real hatred was in the bleachers. Yankee fans and Red Sox fans despise each other. And that was always fun to watch. Oh, there would be fights and shit all the time in the bleachers. Yeah. God forbid yeah. you wore, a, you know, a, an Ortiz or a Manny jersey or a Pedro jersey. But generally, that's that's kind of how you I, – I would think as a fan, that's how you knew not to mess with. Because if you're <laughs> stupid enough to wear a Red Sox jersey in Yankee Stadium, you're basically yeah. telling everybody, I give zero Fs, and come on, let's go. <laughs> hey, Kurt, Kurt, as one more little side note. My wife and I, she, when we first started dating, um, it was in 2004 – uh, we always joke, like, look at all the Boston titles we, we've brought, you know, since we started yeah. dating. Her first gift ever to me, it was it was a uh, birthday present. It's actually a ball you signed, and she surprised me with it. It's it's uh, it was written in blue ink. It's it's kind of fading now. God, it's twenty something years old, but I, I knew she was the one when she gave me a Kurt Schilling oh, yeah. autograph ball. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how you know. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you from from everyone yeah. here in Boston. We never forget. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for joining, Matt. Appreciate you, man. Uh, we've got another question from uh, Chad Griff. Hey, Chad. Uh, Cardinals fan here, but I always enjoyed watching you play, Kurt. Never well, that's in my mind dreamed, dreamed that I'd be going to talk to you. But uh, two questions. How big of a collection are you looking for your NFT collection? And about what is the price point are you looking for? I'm going to let Ken take that first one. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood. It's going to be a, a low supply somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, about 300 or so, um, just because we want to make sure that the, um, you know, people that are, that want to get involved in the collection or have, have a, you know, a, a determination to do it. And we want to be able to, you know, capitalize on the uh, rarity of it to make sure that we're able to donate as much money as possible to uh, the ALS Association, because uh, that's, you know, that's the primary goal here. Uh, you know, I, I know Kurt's just not doing an NFT collection just to, you know, for the hell of it. Uh, he, he wants to make sure that he's able to raise a significant amount of money for uh, ALS Association. We're looking at somewhere and it'll be probably, um, it won't be more than a thousand, but it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be somewhere around the, a little bit, a little bit below that. 
Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I think that whenever you beat the Yankees, I think you had to beat the Cardinals to get to the Yankees. I could be mistaken on I, that. No, I, I, I got to tell you, though, that uh, in, uh, in 04, uh, that was people, we swept the Cardinals, but I don't think people realize how incredibly talented that Cardinals team was. Uh, that was a, that, they were a tremendous team, um, but they didn't have the pitching. Uh, they needed they needed to have swing and miss pitching to get through our lineup, and they didn't have any of that. And, and uh, no disrespect at all, but before the series when we were talking and going over scouting reports, we weren't even thinking about not winning the World Series. We didn't know if they could beat us even a single game because of their pitching staff and our offense, and it turned out that they couldn't. And, and by, I'm sorry, by the way, one of my favorite cities in baseball. Some of the greatest fans I've ever seen. Yeah, St. Louis, they love baseball. Yeah. They're all, they're all yep. about I, I yep. St. Louis, Louis is the National League version of Baltimore. Yeah, for sure. And, and I was saying earlier before you got on, that's one of the reasons I ended up going to school in Connecticut because in 2003 I went up to a Red Sox and Yankees game. I think it was Pedro. It might have been Pedro and Clemens. I can't even remember, but. The atmosphere was so good, and I'm like a diehard Steeler fan, and that's how oh, I was I'm, here. Like, all right, I was born like, and raised a Steeler fan. Like, oh, nice. Well, like, when, like, not being sexist, but like, women here will literally know like every quarterback that's ever been. And like, when I went up to school, like, when I went up to Connecticut, yep. it was the same way. Like, women knew like who the first baseman was. Yeah, right yep. I was impressed. Woman, I was like, yeah, this is where I want to be. Like, any woman that can name Terry Hanratty as a co- Pittsburgh quarterback gets. Like instantly engaged to me. That's <laughs> uh, so fun. I I live here. It's it's um, yeah. Football's great. I love baseball a, too. But yep, always fun to play in those towns where a sports team is like a religion to them. Oh, it's that's how it is there. Like we're the only yep. city that every team has the same color, all black and gold. Yep. And real quick, Kurt, for um, I know you had mentioned some of the utilities um in the last space. And, uh, you know, when I talk to you personally, but uh, in terms of the utilities for the collection, do you want to, I, I know I said the price would, it would be what it was, but um, I know you spoke of, of a couple of special, uh, you know, added incentives, so to speak, for right. a, a higher limit price on a couple of these. You want to talk about that? Well, yeah, we, we're, we're talking about doing things like a, 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 a yearly interaction or monthly interaction for some of the premium pieces. Um, uh, or a special group where we interact during the baseball season or going and watching a baseball game with me. Uh, something we, we haven't defined any of them yet, um, in which we will, but uh, they'll be worth whatever extra value we add to the, to the token itself. Uh, I'll make sure of that. And, uh, and then, so the people also that get the initial, the, uh, the, you know, the standard one, they'll get a signed piece of memorabilia from you, like a card or something yeah. of that nature. Right. Right. Awesome. So yeah. Uh, so everybody that, that purchased the NFT also get a signed uh, probably card or something uh, from Kurt. Um, and we'll, we'll work that out over the, over the next uh, probably three weeks or so. And the collection will be launching on June 2nd, which is Lou Gehrig's day uh, on the MLB calendar. Uh, and then hopefully this is something that we'll be doing uh, for many years to come um you know with um with kurt's support on that so definitely looking forward to to continued uh collaborations with you man uh and just one question about the collection itself so how would you define success with this collection for you like what what does what does success look for look like for you 
in terms of this collection? Whatever honestly raises the most money for LS. I, I mean, I can't think. I mean, I think the piece is absolutely phenomenal. I think it's it's uh, it is a work of art, and there's a lot of time and effort being spent on it, a lot of energy being put into it, and I think that uh, you know we're going to raise awareness for ALS one way or another, and that's a good thing. That's the win. I, I couldn't have said it better myself, man. Um, right. Yeah, I appreciate you joining us tonight. Yep. Does anybody have any last questions for Kurt before he goes? I guess just a random question. Do you think Barry Bonds will ever make the uh, Hall of Fame? No. Yeah, I don't think so either. That's no, because bad. it's in now in the it's in the players' hands, and I don't think any of them will ever vote for him. Yeah. Last question I always wanted to ask you: What were your What were you thinking when uh, Don Zimmer was charging the mound against Pedro? Uh, what the fuck is he thinking? Um, <laughs> but but I know and knew Don. Uh, and that's exactly who he is, man. You're one of his soldiers. He's going to kill for you or get killed. And I thought Pedro did the only sane thing you could do without to not kill him because every other physical reaction to that would have been to clothesline him or to spear him or (laughs) he would have died. So I'm glad he didn't. Yeah, that, that, that was crazy. Um, I guess that's a good way to, to put a cap on the space. Then. Yep. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you for joining in. All right, Ken. Thanks, bud. Take care. Yeah, thank you, bud. Chef, nice yeah. job, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, great space. Bye, Appreciate everyone. it, guys. Thank you all for, uh, for being a part of it. Um, so, yeah. Thank you guys for uh, being a part of it. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, uh, Haas. And thank you, Joe, and everybody else that was here. Thank you, uh, Chad and Matt, for your questions. Um, very much appreciate you guys. And I hope you'll be um, also claiming the NFT that we'll be um, dropping as a proof of participation. Uh, NFT that will be going through Omniflix TV. We'll be posting the video tomorrow. And I've also taken a few screenshots or snapshots of the participants. So I'll make sure that you guys that are participating in the, uh, in the that we're here in the space uh, that I reach out to you guys personally with uh, either myself or the Flix Fanatics will be reaching out to you uh, to send you the link for claiming the POP NFT, which will be dropped into your Omniflix wallet. And you, um, with Omniflix TV, you can connect with either MetaMask or with Kepler, but don't connect with MetaMask or else you won't be able to get the uh, NFT dropped to you because the NFT will be coming from Cosmos, uh, from Omniflix. So make sure that you participate in the video with your Kepler wallet or Cosmos station or leave or some Cosmos based wallet and you will get the POP NFT sometime after the Flix token launch, which again is on 420. And um, the secret word for the NFT uh, is just going to be Kurt Schilling. Uh, that'll make it easy. And hopefully I didn't miss anybody with that. Um, now, just a reminder, Thursday is the big day. Um, 420, which is the launch of the Flix token. So that'll be launching on streamswap.io. You can go in there and you can bootstrap, put some tokens in there from Osmo, put some Osmo in there. And then in the next couple of days after the bootstrapping period, which is 36 hours, you'll be entitled to your share of Flix. And if I was you, I would get in there early because just read the tokenomics. Uh, that's the only uh, breadcrumb I will leave you. So thank you guys for the space. Love you guys all. Be kind to each other. 
and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your evening and a great week ahead. Thanks again, man. This was awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was Omniflix Network, minting for hope, fundraiser for ALS, with Major League Baseball legend Kurt Schilling. Recorded on Monday, April 17th, 2023. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Put your hands up like you got a couple questions. Ain't no misdirection, just a bunch of flexing. All aggressive, insane from all directions. Smoke rolls in when I start a session. Plank canvas, blaze up the handlers. Rocking back and forth like I got the van stuck. Don't grind the clutch, mind your hush. Put your mask on and don't touch the antlers. Feeling untouchable when I'm on the verse. But in the universe, I'm just writing some words. Enticing these nerds while I'm laying out my memoirs. Like, remember when I had to fight the centaur i'm a book nerd let me take you on the journey lost in the labyrinth searching out the lost fern for certain got the taxes included acting like a writer never felt secluded Shit and line them up. Just another fixed game of try my luck. Go lighten up, dog. It could always be worse. Unless you're in the back of a hearse, then you're dead or put it in new speakers. It's a toss up, driver or just tweakers. Don't stress, yo. I've done the research. Living life like a bunch of fucking lemurs. It's a remake. Off the cutting floor, we take a little bit of poison and put it in the cheesecake. Tastes great, less filling. Less stress, more killing. As he blew the cornerstone out the building. And the blocks came tumbling down all humble. Feels like we're drowning in a little puddle. Rebuttal? I should be taking off in the shuttle. Getting high in space with the Hubble. Spaces.